Next, the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. After this message. Are you getting enough CBD each day? Hemp Meds carries the most trusted CBD oil brands like Real Scientific Hemp Oil and Dixie Botanicals to make it easy to add cannabinoids like CBD to your diet. We hold all our hemp oil products to our rigorous triple lab tested standard to ensure that you and your family receive only the highest quality and most reliable CBD products. Hemp Meds is your trusted source for CBD. Visit hempmeds.com to get our premium CBD oil today. Use discount code CBD20 to get 20% off your first order. You're busy running around from work to kids to evening events. Healthcare shouldn't be adding to your daily running around. Simplify your healthcare with Helterra for only $15 per month per individual or $18 per month per family with up to nine kids. By the way, you can eliminate doctor office visits with 24/7 access to doctors via phone, video, or the mobile app. Not only do you get prescriptions filled over the phone, but save up to 85% on those prescriptions. This is a supplemental plan and not insurance. Healthcare made easy. Helterra.com. And now, broadcasting on StarWorldWideNetworks.com, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the Cannabis Reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop, and happy to be here today. We are continuing our series of episodes on the complex issues of marijuana law. Last week, you heard from Professor Mykos, who literally wrote the book on marijuana case law. We discussed ways in which the gap between federal law and state regulation is growing wider as more and more states reform marijuana policy. We also talked about the legal ambiguity that makes it difficult for even the most seasoned lawyers to defend federal marijuana offenses in regulation states. The ever-changing case law is making it difficult for the DEA to enforce federal marijuana policy and touched on the recent efforts by the Department of Justice to undermine state regulation and close loopholes in the federal policy. That happened when the DEA assigned CBD its very own numerical code among Schedule I controlled substances. The DEA caused a lot of confusion. Despite assurances from the previous administration that the DEA would not intervene in regulation states, the DOJ under Attorney General Jeff Sessions has caused a lot of uncertainty throughout the cannabis industry. This is especially true among producers of cannabidiol extracts who have enjoyed the liberty of importing and selling hemp derivatives anywhere in the U.S. ever since the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals established a permanent ruling that superseded the federal law. Let me explain. In a landmark case, the Hemp Industry Association sued the DEA after it attempted to schedule hemp as a controlled substance. When a ruling was made in favor of the Hemp Industry Association, the DEA appealed the decision in the Ninth Circuit of the U.S. Court of Appeals and lost. Ever since then, CBD extracts and other nutritional products derived from hemp stock have been legal to import and sell anywhere in the U.S. They remain that way. They will remain that way until such time as the Ninth Circuit Court ruling is superseded or overturned by a higher authority. That begs the question that so many in the industry are asking. Why would the DEA assign a new tracking code to hemp CBD among Schedule I controlled substances? And why is our Attorney General gunning for a shot at reversing state marijuana laws? Furthermore, with all we know about medical benefits of all forms of cannabis, why is marijuana even listed among LSD, heroin, and meth in the controlled substances? Those are questions our guest today can answer with the utmost authority. I'm introducing him momentarily. But first, Dr. Brian Donner has our Medical Marijuana Minute. What do you have for us today, Dr. Donner? Thanks, Snowden. Today I'd like to talk about the topic of healthcare provider education. As a physician and medical marijuana advocate, 
I see this as a very important issue because now more than half of the U.S. population has access to legal cannabis. When you consider that hundreds of thousands of patients are already qualified in seeking treatment with medical marijuana, it's concerning that so few healthcare providers have much knowledge at all about it. Patients who look to their providers for advice and are often met with inadequate answers, forced to get information elsewhere. Fortunately, there's almost an overwhelming number of directories and educational platforms for consumers and patients. But surprisingly, there simply aren't many resources for those on the other end of the spectrum, physicians, nurses, clinicians, and other healthcare providers. As I mentioned before, there is currently no baseline medical education on the endocannabinoid system or the science of cannabis. That means it's up to us to educate ourselves. As physicians and providers, we have an obligation to consider medical cannabis treatment options, mostly for our patients, but also to have a self-understanding as well. It is imperative that we have a baseline understanding of the science and physiology behind the endocannabinoid system. It's also important that we learn how the system in our country works, including state-by-state laws, so we can advise our patients accordingly. Though we have a long way to go, there are some resources available for providers interested in learning more about the benefits of medical marijuana and even how to expand their practice to include medical cannabis. Organizations such as Compassionate Certification Centers, The Answer Page, and Americans for Safe Access, among others, have dedicated programs to helping physicians and healthcare providers become educated and understand medical cannabis more thoroughly. I'm Dr. Brian Donner for The Cannabis Reporter. I'll be back again next week with another Medical Marijuana Minute. Back to you, Snowden. Thank you for that, Dr. Donner. I look forward to next week's Medical Marijuana Minute. Okay, let's get started. I'm very excited to introduce our guest. He's the courageous attorney who challenged the DEA on behalf of the Hemp Industry Association in the landmark case, one in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. That ruling made it possible for the hemp industry to continue to grow and thrive. His name is Robert Hoban. He's the managing partner of Hoban Law Group and offers comprehensive consulting, management, regulatory, and product solution services for the entire commercial cannabis industry. He's also a professor at the University of Denver in the Law and Society program. He regularly gives instruction on cannabis and hemp-related legal policy topics and teaches government regulations, public policy, and research-based policy courses. In 2016, he was selected as a member of the Boulder, Colorado inaugural Marijuana Policy Advisory Committee and asked to serve on the Colorado Department of Agriculture's Industrial Hemp Advisory Committee as well. Robert was involved as a drafter of Colorado's marijuana regulatory legislation and has worked with numerous state, local, and international governments in developing both marijuana and industrial hemp regulations. He's drafted over 30 bills for the Colorado General Assembly. Thank you so much for joining us, Robert. I'm so glad you're here. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you for the warm welcome. Uh, It's very good to be here today. There's so much that I want to ask you, and we have a little less than an hour here to do that. (laughs) But So I want to kind of dive right into one of the biggest questions that came out after the DEA Uh, made its announcement in the Federal Registry that it was adding a numerical code to CBD. And I figured you are the one person in the country who could answer this with the most authority. We've already done a couple of episodes um, addressing this issue, but it, it seems that that move caused so much confusion and left the entire industry with this horrible sense of uncertainty. From your perspective, what do you think that really meant? Well, let me, let, let's let's put it this way: the the, um, the DEA issues four-digit drug codes for anything that's a quote-unquote controlled substance. So they issue this drug code back in December of last year, 2016, and that led a lot of people to believe that they just went ahead and scheduled CBD. Um, there's there's a reason to think that that was the case, but they didn't really schedule anything. They simply created the drug code because their perception, the DEA that is, the DEA believes that CBD or any cannabinoid that comes from the cannabis plant is an illegal controlled substance. Therefore, it felt as if it could create a drug code for anything that comes from the cannabis plant. Well, when we saw that, we realized that that wasn't the case. And, and of course, we'll get into some of that in just a few moments. But fundamentally, 
you've got this four-digit code, which is not being used the way these four-digit codes are supposed to be used because they can only govern controlled substances. And cannabinoid extracts, CBD in particular, is not a controlled substance per se, and that's where the DEA has a disconnection with reality. So what is it that, that separates um, cannabinoids in that way that, that make them uh, not part of the controlled substances? Great question. So the way I would suggest that is, yo mama matters. Your mama matters, all right? <laughs> where did the CBD, for example, come from? What was the mother of that CBD? For example, did the CBD come out of a marijuana flower that has above 0.3% THC, if it comes out of a marijuana flower, then it's an illegal controlled substance. But that's the only situation in which it's a controlled substance. More commonly, if it comes from industrial hemp produced under our farm bill, meaning from the tip of that plant all the way down to its roots, then it's a legal substance. If that CBD comes from the stalks of a marijuana plant, then it's a legal substance. If that CBD comes from any of the other 25 species of plant that contain cannabinoids, then it's a legal substance. If that CBD comes from a synthetic source, then it's a legal substance. So that's the distinction right there. And the federal government doesn't like that distinction because we see a lot of CBD coming out of industrial hemp that's produced here in the U.S. And because of that, they, they want to put an end to that. They feel that this is where pharmaceutical companies should come in and do their job. But that's not what the law says, and that's what was the impetus for filing the lawsuit. Yeah. So, so it was the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals that basically uh, made that an ironclad law superseding the DEA policy on it. Is that correct? Yeah, so, so, so let's, let's go back to 2004, if you will, with the Hemp Industries Association. The HIA prevailed in a lawsuit against the DEA back in 2004, and the ruling in that case said that if the stalks of a plant, of a cannabis plant, the stalks, meaning anything below the stems and the flowers, if the stalks contain cannabinoids, CBD, CBN, CBG, even THC, those are all legal substances because the stalk is not an illegal part of the plant. Only the flowers, the leaves, and the stems are. That well, happened in 2004. That's, a, that's actually quite interesting that you're, you're including THC in that mix. I mean, understandably, in the stalks, there's a much lower percentage of THC than other um, cannabinoids. But if, if someone were to derive THC and uh, their extraction method was to make the oil more than 0.03% THC, if it's derived from the stock of a plant, then that too would qualify as a legal substance? Correct. So, so the, the, the distinction is that there are indeed only trace elements of THC in the stocks, as you said. But take that, and, and forget about THC for a second, take CBD. The government concedes in writing that if you take CBD out of the stalks of a plant, that it's a legal substance. However, they say it only amounts to trace elements, trace amounts of CBD and trace amounts of THC. But what happens with technology in 2017 and you concentrate those trace amounts? What if I have an entire field of stalks that's a thousand acres long, and I take trace elements from a thousand acres of hemp plants of CBD, and I concentrate that. That's all still legal CBD. It's simply been concentrated, and that's where there's a disconnect. Now, as you relate to THC, THC trace amounts have been determined to be okay, and then as the law has defined it, trace amounts is effectively 0.3% or below of THC. Right. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting because um, so many people are, are likely unaware of that fact. Well, they are. And, and, and frankly, Congress is, is unaware of that. You've seen you know, some, some great 
there are, believe it or not, some, some good politicians out there at the federal level, some people that have been around for a while, and some of them have taken the position that, oh, my gosh, CBD is a controlled substance. Hemp's a controlled substance. Right. And that we need to make – even Dianne Feinstein of California, a notorious uh, Democrat uh, uh, on the liberal side of the policy issues, she says CBD is a controlled substance. We need to study it. She introduced a bill to study a controlled substance known as CBD. But the, the, the problem is it's not a controlled substance. It can be a controlled substance just like, you know, if, 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 if something comes from an illegal source, it's a controlled substance. But CBD is no, 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 no more of a controlled substance than sugar that might occur in a cannabis plant uh, naturally occurring or any of the other chemical components. And that's where Congress doesn't get it because what they do is they buy the rhetoric. They buy the DEA's position that this is a controlled substance. But this is what's interesting, and, and, and I'm sure we can get into this a little bit, but the DEA's rhetoric and what their, their public uh, announcements state and what their lawyers put in writing in a lawsuit are very, very different things. Mm-hmm. The DEA's lawyers agree with us on, on the legal tenets, but the DEA personnel, they say a different story altogether. Yeah. Well, you know, it seems as though it also goes all the way up to the very top of the Department of Justice. I mean, I'm sure that you've seen some of the correspondence back and forth between uh, the Senate, Congress, and Jeff Sessions recently. I mean, (laughs) uh, just last month, Jeff Sessions wrote to Congress, you know, stating his intent to completely undermine all the state regulation and go after a substance that's technically illegal. And it, it, it just, it's amazing to me that in this day and age, with all we know and the confirmed medical science, that it, it just seems like it's a constitutional question um, waiting to happen as to why uh, cannabis has been in Schedule One anyway. And this was a question that I had for you too. Um, I, I, I interviewed a veteran uh, several months ago who had posed a constitutional question to the state of Arkansas because the, the statute in Arkansas defining cannabis and the different variations of cannabis tincture and, and flour and all of that differ from the federal law. So he was trying to basically free up the, the new medical marijuana laws to allow him to exercise his constitutional rights as a veteran and still obtain a medicine that can help him in his recovery from various war injuries, including PTSD. And the court basically denied his request for a number of reasons. But as I was looking into his case and, and researching what was really going on and then following up with the, with the um, appeal that he was making, I think just even days ago, it, it just struck me that, that prohibition began on a lie, obviously, and, and in 1973, when Nixon uh, put marijuana in with LSD and heroin and dangerous drugs into Schedule One. It, it, that was admittedly done as a lie as well for ulterior motives. So when you look at those facts and you see that today, even knowing that there is a, a positive medical use for cannabis and a low potential for abuse, which is what would define a Schedule One drug uh, if they didn't meet that criteria, why can't we as a general public uh, contest the validity of that law to begin with. Well, and, and there are folks that are doing so. So, so um, there's a, there's a, a couple of things in there. So let, let's start with the, the the veterans element of this. I mean, we're we're huge proponents of veterans and their their plight as it relates to PTSD and their treatment with cannabis. And we, as a law firm pushed very, very hard and were able to successfully get PTSD added as a qualifying medical marijuana condition in Colorado. Believe it or not, even in Colorado, that only happened about a month, month and a half ago. So, so there's, a, there's a slow curve uh, uh, that, that, that relates to this, this topic. Now, we also just got a call yesterday 
from a group of veterans that we represent and work with uh, that's, that's, that's based uh, in and around the United States saying that the, the VA won't allow them to use these, these products, as you suggested. But more importantly, they won't allow these veterans to participate in a government-sanctioned study about cannabis use and the treatment of PST, PTSD in veterans. So there's really a lot of doublespeak that comes out of these government agencies as it relates to this topic. So that's confusing, but how do you challenge it? There's been a lot of folks that have challenged it over time. They challenge it in a number of different ways. They say exactly as you said, it doesn't have this high potential for abuse. It has medicinal benefit, et cetera, et cetera. And those cases through administrative petitions and court cases, they've all lost. We just saw one filed literally within the last 14, 10 to 14 days by a formal NFL player named Marvin Washington and some other high-profile plaintiffs where they're suing Jeff Sessions, our attorney general, to say, you have to, you have to reschedule cannabis because it doesn't have all of these qualifying conditions to be a Schedule One substance. We'll see how that lawsuit goes. But to date, courts, administrative bodies um, have refused to recognize, as have uh, the, the federal politicians, that marijuana should be removed from Schedule 1. That's another topic perhaps for another conversation, how scheduling impacts the existing marijuana industry. Because I'll tell you candidly, it does not help it. Rescheduling will not help the existing industry at all. In fact, it might shut it down faster than Jeff Sessions can snap his fingers. But that's perhaps another topic for another day. Yeah, well, you know what? I I tend to agree just on on the minor amount of research that I've done compared to what you know, but um, it really needs to be descheduled altogether or taken out of the scheduling, but we're dreaming, I think. Um, But yeah, I spoke to, um, I've spoken to Marvin Washington on this show several times, um, and what he's doing is very courageous, I think, and I hope he's successful with it. I really do. But we, uh, we, we, we support him as well. He's also a member of Athletes for Care, uh-huh. a really great uh, former professional athletes uh, organization that, uh, that focuses on alternative treatments, including but not limited to cannabis. Really, really a great organization. Yeah. And, and also, you know, with his efforts to uh, convince the, the NFL that, that cannabis needs to be something that they would consider, especially, you know, for athletes in states where it's legal, and especially, you know, CBD, like you said, it's not even illegal in any state, even if they haven't passed medical marijuana laws. So why not protect the brains of, of NFL players? So it, ugh, there's just so much to that. And <laughs> there, there is, you know, quickly, I, I, actually, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa uh, back in 2011. And a gentleman I climbed that mountain with was the team doctor for a particular NFL team that I won't say. Um, and he was in his early 70s. This guy, 71, 72 years old, you know, beat us all up the mountain anyway. What was he using every single minute of that climb but CBD? But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is when we got to talking about what I did for a living and what he did for a living, he told me uh, that, candidly, they have been using cannabis extracts with high levels of CBD for at least 15 to 20 years in the NFL and you don't test necessarily positive for a drug test unless they have high levels of THC. So this has been used. It's just it's unfortunate that these NFL players who put their bodies on the line have to be silent and hush-hush about it when they can't just acknowledge what they're doing because it doesn't enhance their performance. It merely helps their bodies recover. Yeah. That's pretty phenomenal that he was 70 years old. I'm, I'm still back on, on climbing Kilimanjaro. At that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I spend a lot of time in uh, East Africa, and I've been, I haven't climbed Kili yet, but, um, but that, that just seems like an incredible feat for someone at any age, much less in their 70s, and um, particularly interesting taking CBD. I mean, that, that's the kind of, individual though that I would love to interview and encourage to sort of come out of the green closet as Marvin Washington calls it to testify on on the efficacy and importance of of cannabis and especially CBD to human health and 
protecting athletes from brain injury and that sort of thing. I mean, it really would be amazing. There are so many people who have been closet users, even when it was completely illegal, who still, just for political reasons or for fear of losing their jobs or whatever, cannot come out and explain it publicly how normal it is. And I mean, it really, it just, it boggles my mind. And I've, I've been trying my best to get people who have been closeted to come out and explain publicly why they believe it's such an important movement. And this happens with moms all the time too, you know, with, with children who have these debilitating diseases that pharmaceuticals just can't help. And they're giving their children CBD or, or even, you know, whole plant uh, cannabis. And they're showing miraculous recovery. And yet, if they, were a, if they were to disclose that to the schools or, or you know, it, they, or in states that haven't regulated yet, they could have their children taken away from them. Yes. Yes. Yes, they can. And, and, and or, you know, a lot of, there's always a lot of fear with, folks with, you know, government benefits being taken away, et cetera. And that's a very real fear, unfortunately, I hate to, I hate to say, because, you know, you and I and, and, and so many people that, that understand the plant and understand this industry, we kind of live in a cannabis bubble. Cannabis bubble, by the way, kind of sounds like a cool place to be. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but my point is that, you know, we can talk about it openly and, and we can have these discussions at a, at a high level. But to so many people, I'd say more than half the people in the country, if not 60%, you don't ever talk about this in public because you will get put in a box and you will be thought of differently. I hate to say it, but that is the, the actual world we live in. And let's also not forget for all the negativity that someone like Jeff Sessions, our, our attorney general, as it relates to the cannabis issue, for all the heat he takes, appropriately so, there's still 40% of the American public that wants him to take that position. So let's not kid ourselves that, 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 unfortunately, you have to be cautious. You have to think twice about what you're going to say publicly as it relates to this, because you could lose a job. You could lose your children. You could lose benefits. Um, it's unfortunate. And the only thing that's going to change that is some sort of policy change at the federal level. And... You know, your guess is as good as mine is when that's going to happen. Right. Well, I think that also, I mean, just getting out and educating people and normalizing the conversation and taking away that cultural um, negative stigma that, you know, is as old as reefer madness 80 years ago. Um, that is what, to me, I think will help eventual policy change because, I mean, constituents, once they learn how ridiculous the law is and they learn how how their bodies actually need a certain number, a certain level of, of um, saturation with cannabinoids. And it's something that our bodies produce naturally when we're young. It, it, it seems that that pressure, that, that they'll be able to ap apply the pressure to their, their policymakers in their states and in policymakers nationwide, their, their representatives in Congress. Yeah, but very few, very few politicians... Um, even sometimes very conservative politicians, very few when presented with a real person who benefits from this, that they have some sort of respect for. Um, and some of the scientific evidence, very few ignore that. Very, they, they generally tend to come around. And you know what makes them come around faster? Someone that they know or love or in their family that they could see would benefit from this. Frankly, I'm surprised that someone like John McCain, our senator with with uh, with brain cancer, as I understand it, um, hasn't explored it and come out with an alternative. And you know, it's things like that that advance the ball. Yeah, um, you know, this, you, this you took the words that, right that, out of my mouth. <laughs> you yeah, did. I, mean, I, I was go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just thinking that. I mean, I, I actually was was trying to find um, a way to uh, connect with him because he's he's the senator from the state that I'm in right now. I'm in Arizona. And um, I have a great deal of respect for, you know, his level-headedness. And it seems that if, if someone could get him in a room and explain to him that there have been multiple studies done, um, even, even at the National Cancer Institute, you know, government-sanctioned entity, um, on, on the success of um, 
killing glial cells, you know, geoblastoma cells, with cannabis. And I interviewed, I've interviewed several doctors about um, the benefits of using CBD and THC and other cannabinoids to protect the cells during chemotherapy and radiation, especially in you know, the brain area, the, the glial cells. And it's really been tremendously successful. Um, I received a press release the other day about a little girl who was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor and, you know, her, out of frustration, her, her parents just started giving her CBD oil, large quantities of it, and then someone had recommended that they start putting THC into the mix, and that tumor, despite all of the, you know, radiation and chemotherapy that this little girl had to endure, once she started that, the tumors actually started to diminish on their own. And, and there are just countless individuals out there. And I hope that someone can reach Senator McCain and say, hey, you should look into this. Yeah. You know, that, that, but those are the types of things, to your point about education. Education is great. But ed, people can only be educated when they want to learn or when they have an open mind. Uh, a lot of this educational effort is going to have to come from people that are faced with some tough decisions uh, about their health or a loved one's health. And um, you know that those are those are great great opportunities to 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 advance the ball as as it relates to this. You know we we've started we have a, an education cannabis education company called Cannabis Professional Series, and we go out and we educate uh, accountants and lawyers and doctors and corporate uh, organizations that really want to look at this issue objectively and be taught the information from someone that looks like them and talks like them. Um, those are the ways that, that we're trying to advance the ball with regard to education, and that's really the key. And when you have, you know, going back to where we started here, when you have this federal government rhetoric that, you know, all of this is a controlled substance and all of this is bad and illegal, including CBD from industrial hemp, then you're, you're, it makes you shake your head. But again, believe it or not, I, I believe facts and, and, and truth and information will take the day. It may not seem like that given where we are with our politics these days, but I believe that that's the case, and, and, and especially as it relates to this plant. Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, we've, we seem to have a much bigger battle ahead in the next few years with respect to the eventual uh, descheduling or what have you. It, it seems like it's just going to be a lot tougher until... Oh, I don't know, until another, another administration change, perhaps. But I don't know. So when, when people ask you how threatened they should be, I mean, do you, do you feel that everything right now is that people should feel as though they can operate under um, the same comfort level that they were operating under with, uh, in the Obama administration? Uh, well, as a technical matter, yes especially as it relates to medical marijuana, because uh, presently we have something called the Rohrbacker Farr Amendment, which you're probably aware of, I'm, I'm almost certain you are, yeah. uh, which prohibits Congress from spending dollar one against a compliant state-sanctioned medical marijuana business. So as it relates to medical programs, that's in place, that's going to be renewed by all accounts, and that's the major protection that the industry has against somebody like Jeff Sessions, who's hell-bent on, on, on going down this road of marijuana being a, a scourge on society. So that's number one. Um, I also think that, you know, look, we've, we've got a schizophrenic federal government. We have a president who says, or at least he's said, uh, unequivocally that states should be able to do what they want with, with regard to medical marijuana. You know, that's out there. Then you have Congress saying, oh, yes, um, you can't spend any dollars enforcing it against medical marijuana. And then you have an attorney general who says, nope, marijuana is the worst thing that's ever happened to society. So what gives here? Which, which direction does it go? Because there's that, that schizophrenia, that these two or three different positions, I just don't think there's any public momentum uh, or popular momentum in the federal government to spend resources, even if they could spend resources, um, against this, this issue. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, Jeff Sessions couldn't wake up one day and, and, and do something against a recreational marijuana business 
and make an example of them. But I think that that would be, have to be very, very selective because Congress doesn't support it. And by the way, the states, they, they're prepared for this. Look at California. They hired, what, Eric Holder as a special assistant advisor to the attorney general specifically for this event. You try to do something in California, you're going to get sued, and that's going to result in a very, very interesting lawsuit. They yeah. don't have the resources at the federal level to do this. So it would surprise me greatly. But then again, I'm, I'm surprised almost daily as it relates to the federal government these days. Yeah. I, I, kudos to um, Eric Holder for taking that on as well. And I think that if anybody could be really successful in California fighting the, the Department of Justice on this issue, he could do it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I mean, he, he understands the issues deeply. And, you know, this presents an issue that this is the, the issue of marijuana and states are being allowed to do what they want within their states. This is not a foregone conclusion that federal federal law trumps and, and takes the day. Um, this is a, a very complex legal issue that someone like an Eric Holder um, would, would be better at than folks in the U.S. government uh, uh, Department of Justice right now in terms of uh, legal argument and, and understanding the issue deeply. So that, you know, that's a that's a. It's a battle that will be fought at some point uh, unless Congress does, you know, make it legal or, or deschedule it. Or uh, what I think is the likely case is you're going to see rescheduling as it relates to pharmaceutical grade substances and descheduling for programs that we see in states, but only as it relates to what happens in that state, uh, not interstate commerce. I think that's the, the immediate and likely future. Uh, and and, and I'd, I'd bet just about anything on it. Yeah. Well, it's that stands to reason anyway. It, it seems as, as though um, that's an inevitability. Yeah, so... It, it, you'd hope so. You'd hope so. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, we have, we have people listening who are in states that have not yet uh, passed any regulation whatsoever. And I think a lot of people don't, uh, are not aware of what we were talking about earlier with respect to being able to purchase any hemp products whatsoever um, in any state. Uh, should people feel as though their lives might be threatened if they ordered um, CBD online, for example, and had it shipped to their state where they haven't passed a medical marijuana law? Well, that's a, that's a great question, and, and one I get asked quite a bit. Um, here's my, my take on that. First and foremost, farm bill derived domestically produced hemp, so long as it's done in compliance with state law that's authorized by the federal government, that's clearly legal at the federal level. So if it's made from farm bill hemp and it's sold in a state that has farm bill hemp, then it's very likely that that's legal. I'm not so worried about the federal law in that case. I'm worried about the state law. States are free to make their own laws, as you're well aware. So what I can do under federal law does not mean that I can do it in all 50 states. If federal law says industrial hemp is legal, then it doesn't mean I can do it in all 50 states because all the 50 states could decide whether they want to follow that federal law or not. And not every state has said that. So you really have to look at your state law. If I'm going to order something online as a CBD product, it might be legal federally, but is it legal in my state? Or does my state have some sort of different law that makes that product illegal? What if your state, for example, says um, anything at all that comes out of the cannabis plant, no matter what the THC content is, is an illegal felony scheduled substance? Well, then you've got problems. So my point is you should, you should find out and understand what your state law allows for before you do it because you'd hate for it to get confiscated. And we haven't seen many, you know, criminal actions, law enforcement, you know, against people that order CBD. Um, but that's not to say that it couldn't happen if, for example, the state law enforcement official sees it and they come knocking on your door and say, hey, there's, uh, you know, 100 grams of CBD here. This is a controlled substance under state law. Um, you're under arrest. That's, that's not out of the question. We haven't seen it happen on any notable scale. But that's what I would look at very closely before I ordered it to my home. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I, people ask me that all the time, and I never know how to answer it. I mean, it, it, it seems as though they should be able to just order it online and with no consequence whatsoever. Correct. And, and, and many people do. And, and, and that works 
you know, a great deal of the time. But, you know, what works uh, really comes down to what, what you're willing to do. If I have a physical condition and I know that CBD can treat it, if I have a child or, or a family member with a physical condition and I know that CBD can treat it, then I'm going to do anything in my power, regardless of the law, to help my family member. So if that's the case you're in, then you prepared to suffer the, the, the consequences. But if you want to be a little bit more deliberate about it, it's, you know, you, you simply want to look at what your state law allows for. And is there a crackdown? I mean, even in Missouri, the state of Missouri, which has a hemp pilot program, you can't sell CBD. So people in Missouri probably don't know that. But also there's, there's not a, a huge focus on arresting people for selling and buying CBD under state law in any state. So, you know, it, 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 unfortunately, there's still an element of risk with all of this, um, but there are good companies that, that, that produce very high-quality products from industrial hemp, and you can order those. And you can order those uh, to your home. You just have to understand what, what and how your state treats it. Um, so those are, those are some issues that sometimes aren't easy to find on your own, but, uh, but if you dig around a little bit, I'm sure somebody will find the answer for you that uh, that will at least give you a level of comfort. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, there's just there's there's just so much um that still needs to be done on both the state and federal level. And speaking of which, tell me a little bit more about the seminars that you do when you're educating professionals, um, you know, people in banking, uh medical professionals and that sort of thing and I'd, I'd like to hear more about what you're doing there. Yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, you know, our, our thinking was uh, we, when we built this company uh, two and a half years ago, um, and, and by the way, the website cps.education, it also has online content um, that, uh, that is available for download, uh, different seminars on different topics. But when we start to see lawyers come into this space and lawyers that didn't understand anything about marijuana and were so concerned about you know, ethical responsibilities to their bar licensure. We saw pharmacists and insurance agents, anybody with any sort of professional license. We wanted to be able to give them top quality content so they understood that what they were being told about the medicinal benefits of marijuana, A, was not a lie, and B, so that they understood what their exposure was from their professional licensure and also so that they could get some professional education credits. So we, we put all those things together and we, we put together a really nice uh, programs that we do throughout the country. We just did a, a full-day hemp seminar in Manhattan uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and, and the folks that attended that were lawyers and accountants and, and a bunch of different folks. When we were brought in-house to, for, for corporate American environment, they bring us in to do the same type of program, but internally. Take, a, take an insurance company, for example, that knows that someday it's going to have to deal with um, health insurance as it relates to medical marijuana, how long can they sit back and, and, and just ignore it? Well, they're not ignoring it, but they also don't want to publicly learn about it. So they hire a company to come in quietly and confidentially and put on a full-day seminar or two-day seminar for their employees so that they can learn about medicinal cannabis and cannabis industry activities and, and what's going on out there without having to, to, to publicly take a position on it and so that their, 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 their folks get a top-quality education. There's room for that, and, and we've seized that space, and, and uh, it's, it's pretty exciting, especially when you see people coming in that say, this is a bad thing, this is a scourge on society, and it's illegal. And by midway through the day, not the end of the day, midway through the day, they go, holy smokes, I didn't know that stuff. Yeah. I didn't know this was real. I didn't know that this was regulated in a way that prevented you know, diversion and children from accessing it and, and things of that nature. It turns it around dramatically. And that's, as you said it earlier, you nailed it. That's what we need as an industry. Yeah. Well, it's all about changing hearts and minds. And, and once we can successfully do that, then those people will change the hearts and minds of the people they elect. That's right. That's right. And, and, and at least they'll go to them. I mean, you know, that's really what changed how, how we went from, in Colorado, we went from people thinking in... December of 2009, thinking that the marijuana dispensary and the marijuana registration program was just a ruse for people to get high and that nobody really benefited from it. And, you know, that notion that you don't look like you're sick. Why do you have marijuana? They went from that to literally within two months, 
the politicians at the Capitol turned around and passed. They, they, they passed legislation because they met a number of folks that used marijuana. And these were veterans and these were professionals and these were business people. And they saw how it helped these people. When you see it, it's undeniable. It yeah. can happen fast. It just has to happen the right way for different kinds of people. Yeah. And it goes back to that conundrum. You know, you can't do research because it's schedule one, but you, they won't reschedule because they, um, they don't have enough research in the yeah. U.S. that's acceptable to people. But there's yeah. nothing like anecdotal evidence when you're staring someone in the face and they can tell you unequiv unequivocally that, that marijuana saved their life. That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. And, and people pay attention. And, and more and more and more, somebody's touched with, with this plant somehow, some way. Uh, oh, I know somebody at work whose daughter had this, and she used medicinal marijuana. I know uh, someone whose son had ADHD, and they take uh, CBD. You know, people, th this, is, this is touching a lot of people uh, indirectly, and it makes them go, wow, well, that person who I, I don't know, I go to church with or I go to the community center with, they're using this, and I thought that they were a regular person. Turns out that they are a regular person, and they're using something that's so bad, it must not be that bad. Yeah. If that's all you get, that's still something. That's a positive move. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have a long way to go. But, you know, it, it, one recent poll I read was about 97% <laughs> of people who actually approve of, uh, of medical use of marijuana in some way, shape, or form, which I thought was pretty astonishing. And I've seen the polls are kind of all over the map. It depends on who's taking them to and who they're, who they're actually asking. But the point is that it's, it's the acceptance level for medical anyway is, is growing leaps and bounds. And, you know, I, there, there are a number of reasons why it would be a good idea to legalize for adult use as well, not the least of which is the criminal justice um, inequities, uh, which are just a shame and that's a whole other episode <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> go down mm -hmm. that path today i could be here for three more hours talking to you <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but um you know but this is really great information and um i'm i'm so grateful that <laughs> you're able to be here and clear it up for us a little bit um because there's just so much misinformation out there so um i will share your web address online. And just one more time, it's cps.edu or? cps.education. And then uh, at, at, uh, our, our law firm is uh, www.hoban.law. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely um, post that up online when I, when I put the uh, episode archive up for it. And then uh, will you be speaking at any of the upcoming events? I know we've got in October the Southwest um, Southwest Cannabis Conference and Expo, and I mean they're all over the place. Are you are you doing any traveling these days to go to some of these seminars? Uh, yes, in fact, I, I, I'm proud to say this is the the longest stretch that I have been and will be in Colorado all year. I'm in Colorado for the next four weeks, um, but right after four weeks, then I will be back on the road. Uh, traveling. I mean, we've got clients all around the country and around the world, so it keeps me busy. But we will be uh, in Los Angeles in September for the Cannabis World Congress event at the Convention Center. Um, we will also have uh, a, a number of other events where uh, a variety of our, our attorneys will, will appear over the next several months. So, so look out for any Hoban Law Group attorneys, uh, including myself. We'd love to say hello, answer any questions, or, or just uh, meet and greet, because it's always good to find people that, that want to learn um, and, and understand how they can, they can help because that's, uh, that's really the key. We need, uh, we need people that understand the issue and can deliver the message properly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so, so much. This has been uh, really enlightening. And I'm, I'm looking forward to following up with you later on, too. I'd love to um, have you back on when, when we do this again on the legal issues and as things change, which they always do, that's the constant in this industry. But um, I'm really you know, looking forward to following, uh, following your talks and I'll definitely look 
into some of those seminars, and um, if you'd like, we can, we'd be happy to share them uh, through the CannabisReporter.com as well. I absolutely. I would love to, and I would love to, to talk with you again. Uh, another thing I would note, just in terms of resources, our website, the, the www.hoban.law, the, the law firm's website, under the media tab, there's an enormous amount. There's pages and pages of, of content. It's video content. It's audio content. It's things that our lawyers have written. Uh, so anything you want to know about cannabis, that's a good place to start. And uh, we do post uh, multiple uh, articles and multiple uh, items that, that are relevant to this industry uh, per day um, on our Facebook page, Hoban Law Group, uh, and our Twitter, or pardon me, our LinkedIn page. Great. Okay, well, I'm going to put uh, links to all of those up on this episode post so people can go to the website and learn more. So, oh, well, I'm, I'm getting the signal that it's about time for us to wrap it up. So, so thank you so much for, for being here. Really appreciate it. Well, thanks for what you do, and, and thanks for having me. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, well, certainly welcome. So anyway, I once again would like to personally thank our guest, Robert Hoban, for sharing his insights and knowledge with us today. Like I said, I will be putting links to the work that he's currently doing, and um, as much as I can on our website, go to thecannabisreporter.com and click broadcast to find today's episode. And there you'll find his bio and all of the information that you need. We have a lot of people to thank today. First, I'd like to express our gratitude for our radio sponsors, HempMeds.com and HealthTerra. We could not be doing this without you, and we appreciate it. We uh, would also like to thank our engineer, Craig, and the team here at Star Worldwide Networks for making us shine. Compassionate Certification Centers and XRQK Radio Network for distributing our shows to Eric Goodall for our beautiful theme song, Evergreen, and Dr. Brian Donner for our Medical Marijuana Minute update. Um, Last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening around the nation. Tune in again next week, same time, same place, for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, stay safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day. Evergreen is calling, evergreen is always where I feel The blues blue falling, sheets made forever across the ground. Are you getting enough CBD each day? Hemp Meds carries the most trusted CBD oil brands like Real Scientific Hemp Oil and Dixie Botanicals to make it easy to add cannabinoids like CBD to your diet. We hold all our hemp oil products to our rigorous triple lab tested standard to ensure that you and your family receive only the highest quality and most reliable CBD products. HempMeds is your trusted source for CBD. Visit HempMeds.com to get our premium CBD oil today. Use discount code CBD20 to get 20% off your first order. You're busy running around from work to kids to evening events. Healthcare shouldn't be adding to your daily running around. Simplify your healthcare with HealthTerra for only $15 per month per individual or $18 per month per family with up to nine kids. By the way, you can eliminate doctor office visits with 24/7 access to doctors via phone, video, or the mobile app. Not only do you get prescriptions filled over the phone, but save up to 85% on those prescriptions. This is a supplemental plan and not insurance. Healthcare made easy. HealthTerra.com.